0: Welcome to Central Queensland Region's Leading and Learning Podcast. These are informal conversations between leaders about educational issues and initiatives. We share them to inspire and inform you so that you may have a greater influence through your instructional leadership. I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land across central Queensland on which we play, learn and work. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening to us. Hi, I'm Trudy Graham your host for the show. I'm an Assistant Regional Director in Central Queensland, based in Rockhampton. And today on the show, it's a bit of a different format because I have two guests with me today. I've got Chris Cook, who is our HR Manager in Central Queensland region.
1: G'day to you, Chris. G'day, Trudy. I'm um, in the luminaries you've had on the show before. I'm both honoured and a little bit surprised to be here.
0: And... um, And... From this moment forward, I have checked with uh, Cookie, as I know him, to call him Cookie. It's uh, a nickname for you, Cookie, but that's how I've known you for far too long, so that's just how it's going to be. And uh, we also have Felicity Roberts, and Felicity is the Principal at Mackay State High School. Welcome, Felicity.
2: Hello, and I'm very honoured to be invited to this as well, Trudy, so thank you.
0: And look, if you're wondering about the sound quality, of course, this episode is being recorded through Skype with uh, Felicity and Cookie sitting in Mackay. And of course, I'm in Rockhampton. And what we're talking about today is best practices with beginning teachers. So it's going to be a great conversation, I can tell. And we're going to kickstart the conversation by doing a little bit of reminiscing. And the conversation starter is, what is your most vivid memory of your first year of teaching that you can share publicly? Because I'm sure there's stories that shouldn't be shared publicly, but let's see how it goes. So, Cookie, over to you. And I'm almost a little bit nervous to hear what you're going to tell us, knowing
1: your personality. Well, look, I'm a little bit worried about what the statute of limitations might be on a number of um, crime, so I'm going to go with uh, a memory that probably gives you a bit of an indication about what my teaching career was like. My, my most vivid memory of my first year of teaching is sitting in the staff room, um, looking out at uh, Bill, our grounds person, mowing the oval on a ride-on and wishing I was him. Oh, not a good year for you, Corky. Pr- probably not.
0: <laughs> so, Felicity, I'm going to jump to you now. Share us with us your most vivid memory from your first year of teaching.
2: I actually had a really good first year of um, at my first school, but really, um, memory would be year nine science and um, a student who I eventually developed a wonderful relationship with um, hiding in say so the science department used to have sort of I guess like a stage where you know you sort of stood up above the class and him hiding in the cupboards um and jumping out and scaring me you know about 15 minutes into the lesson. Gold. <laughs> uh, well I have to say
0: that um I'm thinking back to the year six class I had in my first year and um I was amused by the fact that I was in the demountable, the furthest distance from the office, and in fact, um, I, I remember how very few observations they actually made of me teaching in my first year. I think because it was, you know, just so far from the office to get to the demountable up in the back corner of the school. Um, wasn't the same in my second year i had a wonderful principal in my second year and who was a great coach and mentor and there were a lot more lesson observations and uh and feedback and modeled lessons too he was amazing to watch teach so it was much better in my second year but my first year it was a bit of a drought in terms of that um professional growth and uh, and which leads into this whole conversation we're about to have and that is you know what are the best practices uh, in terms of setting up our beginning teachers or teachers new to our school um, and making sure that they have the best start to their career. And I think the place to start this conversation is probably before they actually arrive in our schools and that is, what can we do when our teachers are actually first appointed? And we get the phone call to say that you know this this person is being appointed to our school. Who'd like to kick us off here? Over to you, perhaps,
1: Cookie. Yep. Um, I guess the you know I think um, in some ways the process even starts before them, and and then and it starts around the recruitment process. I think that's it's so critical um, that we get the right people. Um, into our teaching roles in schools. so that that I guess that process, that process that the recruitment folk in regional office um, put in place in partnership with principals is is critically important. but then I think um, and I'm sure Felicity will take take this up. there's um, some things that we can do, I guess um, before teachers get to our schools that to um, set them up for success. so Maybe Felicity, you might want to talk about some of the things you've done in that space before.
2: Uh, certainly, I think um, as soon as you know that te- uh, you have a beginning teacher arriving, it's making contact, um, just to ask some questions, you know, what support do they need? To, if I've spent the last 11 years, I guess, in Morumbar, so one of the questions I would always ask is, what can I do to help with housing? When is, you know, what furniture is arriving, when are you arriving? Can I meet you um, when you arrive in the town? And, you know, making sure is the electricity even connected to your house. Um, all of those, I guess, support structures to, so that when they come into a new town, if they are arriving in a new town, that immediately they've had some sort of connection with, with some key people. So, you know, particularly for some of our young teachers that leave the southeast and come to our region, I think that is really important that they make connection with some people early that are there to support them in that personal space and looking after their personal well-being.
0: Yeah, and Felicity, you even made mention earlier before we started recording about our interstate and international teachers. So did you want to make some comment about how we support them as well?
2: So we had an international teacher arrive with a young family this year, and she had no idea how difficult it was going to be to get a rental property here in pie. So for the first three weeks that she was um, teaching at our school, she was actually staying in a motel. So And that, that really impacted um, when she got home and was with her young family, and then having to come to work the next day. Um, so I think if, if you make the connections early and you set up those personal support structures, that certainly helps on their first day after the school, first few weeks even.
0: So any other considerations then before a newer, new teacher starts?
2: Yeah, I would I'd definitely connect with um, you know, the Head of Curriculum, the Heads of the Department, Um, the deputy principal, perhaps that's organising what their timetable might look like, so that you can start um, sending teaching resources, giving outlines, so they they start to get familiar before they actually turn up on that first day. So as many connections as what they can um, coming into the school.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Felicity. So if we take it from there, What's the next thing we're paying attention to as this new person starts in our school and community?
1: Well, I guess, Trudy, um, just taking up where Felicity left off there, you know, as someone who often is talking with beginning teachers when things go wrong and talking with principals when things go wrong, um, I'd have to say that perhaps most of the time, Beginning teachers who report that they are unhappy with the way that things started for them in a school um, do actually report a lack of the sorts of things that Felicity just spoke about. So they will report that they weren't, didn't feel welcomed in the school, that they weren't well inducted, um, that they felt isolated, and those sorts of things. So certainly, when things go wrong, teachers will go back to that that start and. Point that out as the, um, I guess, the beginning of things going badly for them. So I think that reinforces what Felicity was saying and the importance of of putting in place some of those um, those strategies and and measures early. But I think you know once teachers are in the school, I guess from my perspective, you know a, a really good induction program is critical, but Part of that induction program, to my way of thinking, really needs to be an explicit sort of setting up and mapping out of what the support in terms of their beginning teacher program is going to look like and um, also what the probation process entails. So, you know, I've I've got a really strong belief that um, if you're going to set these things up for success, um, these guys need to be really clear with where they sit in these processes. They need to be clear about what the timelines are. They need to be clear about who the the key people are that are going to be interacting with them in these these, um, processes. So who their mentors are going to be, what the mentor's role is actually going to be, Um, you know, who will be in their classrooms, when will that be occurring, that sort of thing. And I think if we, I think that's useful from two perspectives because if schools, make a point of getting all of that in place so that they can communicate that to the beginning teacher, it also assists them in getting things in place and it sort of creates a, you know, a context where they're thinking, you know, about those things and they're able to set up good structures and set up good processes. Yeah, um,
2: I absolutely agree that... Um Having a, a, a well-thought plan, I guess, around that mentoring structure before even the, the new staff member arrives. So, I always like to look at, you know, who's the level one mentor that's going to be in their staff room, they're going to connect with on a daily basis. And then, it, you know, in our context, that high school is your level two mentor is probably a head of department or the head of curriculum, and then there's a, an administration So and identifying who those mentors are going to be. Because often, and even if we think back to when we started a new place, there's generally a lot of information overload in that first day. So knowing straight away who is it that you can go and talk to in your staff room if you need clarification. Like a great example was after the first three days, I had a beginning teacher come to me and say, Um, everyone keeps talking about G-Drive, but I have no idea what G-Drive is. So, you know, so making sure there's a person in their staff room that can just, because we do often on, at the start of the year in particular, give lots of information that's sometimes assumed. So really identifying who their mentor is going to be, that makes that really early contact. And again, if the contact can even start happening before the teacher arrives. Um, I think that's really important.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and and I think the other key thing there is um, setting up really early what the responsibilities and commitments are around this stuff on both sides. So you know what what I talk to principals about often is, and I think sometimes the mistake principals make is they set up this dynamic where they are they take over all responsibility for support for beginning teachers. So they you know um, create a situation where the beginning teacher expects everything to be delivered to them. And I think it's really critical early on to point out to beginning teachers that they have a role in this. They have responsibilities in this. They they have an obligation to take some responsibility for their own professional development and their own development as teachers. And you know, I think that's critical. And look, I um, have this view that there's nothing in life we can't learn from popular 1980s movies, and and the the um, example I, I look to when I'm talking about this stuff is uh, the Karate Kid, and um, Mr Miyagi, the wise Mr Miyagi, who um, when he was when he was um, initially starting to teach Daniel Karate, he took the time to set up those responsibilities, and um, he the famous quote is, "We make sacred pact. I promise teach Karate." You promised learn, so it was really clear. Mr. Miyagi was there to teach, but um, Daniel San had, a, had an obligation to to learn karate and to do what he needed to do to uh, to learn karate and you know to um, take himself to glory in that karate tournament at the end of the movie.
0: Cookie, you've just set a whole new standard for the podcast. Um, we'll see if there is any future guest that can somehow bring in a 1980s movie reference. And I I can't wait to see where the metaphor takes us. It it might not be the
1: last one that I refer to in this podcast. I'm
0: sure you won't disappoint us. (laughs) So um, you're both making really great points here. So anything else in terms of those initial early days?
2: Um, I think, Trudy, at the start, the first it is really about orientation into the school so who's who um you know can we find buildings and do we have keys to access buildings so I always say that the first part is about the orientation and the second part then needs to quickly move into about our professional practice so um you know what what And getting our beginning teachers together in those, um, if it's at the start of a year, the pupil free days, or before they even walk into the classroom and ask the question, what does the first 10 minutes of your first lesson look like? Um, That's always the question that I sort of have with, or the conversation I have with beginning teachers. And um, for me, I always emphasise the fact that it is, the the first part of our job is to really like to, to have connections with kids. And then we sort of talk more about our professional practice and and we might go into then a more formal induction process where I know at our school we meet every fortnight. Um, We look at instructions, essential skills for classroom management and we start, so we move from the orientation to then learning about our our professional practice.
0: Yeah, and Cookie, you make a great point here about starting early as well don't you
1: yeah well you know i think once upon a time um uh the probation period was much longer but these days the probation period is only six months so there's there's really no time so i hear sometimes principals talk about giving their beginning teachers some time to settle in um yeah my view is there's really no time um for a settling in period that it's critical that um, you know, that school staff are in beginning teachers' classrooms early and observing um, uh, beginning teachers early so that, um, you know, they're able to identify early, you know, how the, the teacher's travelling but also able to identify where, you know, the areas of strength and challenge are so that so that the support moving forward is quite targeted. So, obviously, there's a place for general support across all areas, but I think it's critical that that the support is targeted to each individual. And unless you're able to, you know, establish um, where that support needs to be targeted early, then you're missing opportunities. Yeah. And it's that differentiation that we do for students we also need to do for teachers, isn't it? Yeah, Trudy, I I guess what I find um, is that Schools that have a large number of um, beginning teachers on a yearly basis often have really great processes, great um, supportive processes and structured beginning teacher programs for beginning teachers. I think sometimes, though, schools can fall into the trap where um, they, they deal with that group of teachers as a cohort and meet with them as a cohort, which is fantastic. You know, that helps... Uh, give the teacher a, a sense that they're part of a beginning teacher group, are all in it together, and yeah, I think that's really critical. But that needs to be balanced with that individual support and that those um, opportunities to meet individually with the beginning teachers so that they're getting individual feedback and um, that support on an individual basis. So that's something to look out for.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And the other piece in this too is we can automatically think that our beginning teachers are all starting in January and that's just not a reality in central Queensland is it?
1: Yeah, well I'm sure Felicity's experienced that as a principal you know from a, from a HR perspective we're recruiting all year round and um, beginning teachers are starting at the beginning of um, every term and uh, during every term so yeah, really critical to make sure that your schools are keeping an eye on that and that beginning teachers aren't slipping through the cracks.
2: And I guess it is really, um, you know, when you have that year or you know, a, a beginning teacher arrives in term three, that you've already had, um, you know, you've got your induction program happening for your beginning teachers that commenced at the start of the year. But it, it is, it does come back down to what you said around differentiation and knowing that you still have to take control time out in, say, term three when that teacher arrives to go back and do the orientation, the initial work with the mentor, setting up what their goals are going to be and getting into classrooms pretty, pretty early on um, to support them at the end of their, their probation and then continuing on to the next year.
0: Anything else, Felicity, in your experience in terms of setting our beginning teachers up for success?
2: And I have worked a lot um, with beginning teachers, particularly um, in Morembar. I I think it's the the consistent um, check-in at three different, for me, it's always been three levels of support. So who's the level of support that's in the staff room, that's making the daily contact, that's... um, you know, popping into classrooms if, if the beginning teacher says, I'm having trouble with entry or can you come and have a look at the start of my lesson and how I'm settling the students. I think that works really well in that trusting relationship with the mentor. But then also having your next level, which is what does your curriculum planning look like, um, how are you going with your assessment and your moderation. And then um, the third level is really around that broader professional practice and that notion that we need to still continue to learn learning didn't stop when we graduated at uni Um, we need to continually learn how to improve our practice and that is not just probation that is the first year as a beginning teacher then as a second year as a continuing teacher and then at every aspect or every phase of our career i think that's important
0: Yeah, you make a lovely point there, Felicity, and it really is about building those early years and at least the first two years really strongly in terms of professional growth and development. And that that goes way beyond the probation period. And in fact, you know, good educators are learning throughout their whole career. It doesn't even stop after our second year, does it? So. Um, it's important that we don't take our eye off the ball after that probation report is completed because there's certainly still a long way to go in terms of supporting someone new to the profession.
1: And I think, you know, setting that up early with the beginning teacher is really critical. So, you know, very early on the piece, letting them know that there's a six-month probation period, that is an industrial requirement, an industrial process, but that is not what drives the beginning teacher support and their development as a teacher. Um, it's an incidental process that um, every beginning teacher has to go through, but the important thing is that they're learning their craft and developing and um, learning to do the job well. That's what the focus should be on. and I, and I think that's also why early on in the piece, um, I think Principals and schools and staff that are working with beginning teachers need to be keeping an eye out on um, some of those early signs that maybe the the beginning teacher is not travelling well. Um, you know, the, the leaving school at three o'clock every day, and um, you know that's not necessarily uh, you know, a bad thing if the beginning teacher is getting into those good planning habits um, at home. But often that's not the case. So I think it, I think. People need to be a little bit um, empowered to talk to beginning teachers early on and say, look, if you're going to be a good teacher and you're going to do well through this process, you need to put time aside to plan, and that can be at school, after and before school, or it can be at home, but you need to be doing it, and you need to be getting into those good habits early because it's those habits that you form early that'll get you through probation, it'll get you through your really difficult first year of teaching, but it'll also set you up really well for your career. Yeah. Are there other early warning signs to look out for, Cookie? Well, I guess, um, you know, that... Felicity's probably got a few too but um, I, I think one of the things that's reported by schools to me is that not getting tasks in on time, not meeting deadlines that you've set and um, you know, beginning teachers potentially having excuses or um, reasons for why they're not able to meet those deadlines. I think that often can be a bit of an early indicator they're not uh, travelling well. I think also, you know, keeping an eye on who they're associating with in the school. And that's not to say that principals and admin, you know, have a role in telling beginning teachers who they can associate with. But I think if you see beginning teachers perhaps gravitate towards the less positive people in your school and the people that might be inclined to give them, you know, a, a negative message about what the expectations are of the principal and the school and that sort of thing, and that can be a little bit of an early um, indication that maybe things aren't heading in a positive direction and, um, you know, a bit of a cue for principals to get in early and make sure that those beginning teachers are getting, you know, the correct advice and um, support and that they're associating with people that are going to assist them in developing. Yeah,
2: and I I absolutely agree. I think one of the... Um biggest warning signs is when the avoidance happens so yep you're right Chris it's around due dates and there's always a reason or you know can if you ask the question can I have a look at your planning um, for this lesson that you're doing and it's oh that's on my computer at home or so it's that avoidance of um, I guess owning responsibility a little bit and I take on board what you said. It's it's around finding positive people in the school. And just as one suggestion, one thing that we always did um, in Morumbah was that we did a Friday afternoon bus trip of the town. So we got all of our beginning teachers on a bus. And it was a bit of a way to connect for beginning teachers to get to know the administration team and we talked about the history of the school and we talked about the history of the town and we, we visited some key landmarks, just to sort of, I guess, um, let them know that there's we're here to support um, and it's about that positive environment for them.
0: Yeah, that's um, a great strategy and linking with community as well, Felicity. Cookie, yeah. I know you had ideas too around the work-life balance piece.
1: Yeah, well, I think you know it, it kind of fits into that getting into good planning habits early, and it's also, um, I guess, it's establishing that uh, very early on that you know if if um, you establish those good planning habits and get the work done and um, and and that you're set and prepared for um, for your class and and to do well then you enjoy that other stuff that you do that, you know, that makes teaching in, say, remote and regional sort of schools so great, the getting out and doing the social stuff and that sort of thing. So it's, you know, I don't I don't think we should be encouraging our beginning teachers to work to the exclusion of everything else. Um, they need to be encouraged to have a life outside of school and to enjoy, you know, often the, the great things that come from being away from home and in, in a different place and... Um, I guess I'd throw in another Mr Miyagi-ism there and uh, what Mr Miyagi said about balance is that lesson not just for karate, lesson for whole life. Have a balance, everything better. Uh, once again, it's those 80s movies that are showing us the way. Uh, I do have a mental
0: picture of the karate kids standing on the post out in the water there practicing his kicks which is balance to the supreme isn't it absolutely it's all about balance
2: it is is definitely the classic 80s movie (laughs) I I was a big fan so
0: (laughs) so Felicity anything else that you can suggest in terms of successfully supporting beginning and early career teachers
2: I think Trudy I've, I've already sort of said my big message is it's about connection I think you need to make early connection with them and You have to keep connecting at, you know, week one, week two, week three, different levels of people making that time to check in and then doing some formal observations. And it's really important that they feel that they're a part of the school because I think if the beginning teachers that I know that have struggled too feel quite disconnected. So it's it's our job, I think, as principals in particular, to make sure that we have structures in place that enable um, our beginning teachers to feel really connected at a at a number of levels in the school.
0: Mm. Fancy that! What we know to be true for our students is also true for our grown-ups in the school. Yeah. 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 So
1: anything else, Chris, from your perspective? Well, I guess, the, you know, with all the good intent and all the good practice in the world, things do go wrong when it comes to the beginning teachers. And um, I guess from my perspective, what I'd love every principal out there who's having trouble with a beginning teacher, particularly around probation, is to identify that early and perhaps contact me early because, um, you yeah, know, a very big part of my role is to support principals around the management of that probation process the earlier that i get contact that a principal um, might have an issue around a probationary teacher the earlier i can sort of intervene with some advice and um, documentation around putting some things in place to give the the teacher the best opportunity to to get through the probation period but also you know, sets the principal up to be in a strong position to defend uh, any decisions they're making around probation. You know, principals would be aware that at the three-month period there's an interim probation report that is like a critical line in the sand around um, the timelines. And at that point, the beginning teacher or the probationary teacher is given an indication about how they're travelling when it comes to probation. And um, my advice would be, If a beginning teacher gets to that interim report and is surprised by the fact that they're not satisfactory overall or in particular areas of their performance at that point, then something's probably gone wrong in the process. So beginning teachers, there shouldn't be any surprises. Beginning teachers should be getting enough feedback um, along the way in that first three months to very clearly know know how they're placed in the probation process. Once again, I'd encourage principals to contact me um, at any time during the probation process, but hopefully early if they see that there are issues emerging.
0: Spot on, Cookie. And I, I know you are speaking from years and years of experience. And similarly for you, Felicity, you know, how this works best in schools. And from your years of experience in Moorambah, you've certainly welcomed and inducted and grow on many beginning teachers so i appreciate the time that you've both spent in sharing your insights and suggestions for best practice in this space so really appreciate that thank you guys thank you Trudy. it's been fun thank you well the fun hasn't finished though because if you've listened to a podcast you would be aware that we do the fast five questions at the tail end and today i'd still wanted to do that with the both of you so are you both up for the fast five?
1: Ready and raring to go.
0: Ready to go. Okay so uh, Cookie we might go with your answer first and then Felicity and question number one
1: when and where was your first teaching appointment? Well my first teaching appointment was um, at Bribey Island uh, State High School in the Sunshine Coast so um, it was one of those strange situations where I was a rocky boy and happy to teach anywhere sort of um, west of Rocky, Coalfield, Central West and um, and I was sent to the Sunshine Coast for, for, for my first appointment. I'd like to think that HR and recruitment has improved since then and that uh, we make better decisions around, around where, where we deploy our teachers. Yeah. Wow. And, and as as you could probably gather from my initial um, response, um, I don't think I wasn't a particularly successful teacher, and um, I think that set me up for later in life when I'm when I uh, got into HR and in the job now, where I can I can kind of uh, appreciate being a beginning teacher from both sides of it. It's a tough gig.
2: Yeah. yeah. What about you, Felicity? So um, my first teaching appointment was Kerwin State High School in Townsville, North Queensland region, and um, I'm really at this point the thing that I'm thinking about is the amazing mentor that I had in my beginning year and also the amazing deputy principal who's now the executive who really did a fantastic job at looking after, I think I was one of about um, 12 beginning teachers in that year. They had a fantastic program.
0: What an experience. So when you think about your work, what was the last thing that made you smile, Cookie?
1: I smile every day at work and I have a good time at work. But perhaps the biggest smile I got was uh, responding to an email from Greg Nevin, the, one of our PAs on Friday, as he was... Um, trying to communicate a serious message about returning to the office um, in the midst of COVID, I, I brought up a, a whole range of perhaps silly uh, issues with, um, with his very serious message. I think I amused him and I certainly amused myself. I think it's important in the work we do to to remember to have a bit of fun.
0: And that you do. You do. Felicity, what made you smile?
2: Um, pretty much like um, Cookie, I love my job. So every day I I think there's wonderful opportunities to smile, but probably um, having the kids return to school. I think that would probably be a very consistent memory, I guess, for all principals that we had that time away. And then um, the first day you felt nurse, I felt certainly starting, but standing at the gate, welcoming everyone in, it was the best feeling.
0: Yeah that's great and for some of us just being able to get back out into schools is pretty awesome too. So let's go to now what is your best book or film recommendation?
1: Well my best book recommendation is um, Catch-22 which is a bit of a uh, given. I I picked up Catch-22 when I was at high school from a school library and I thought it was a book a, a sort of war book so I took it home and read it and I can remember um, laughing all the way through it not understanding a lot of it I suspect yeah tr- from that day on I've, um, I've I read the book every four or five years I reckon and probably the thing I, f- I find most amusing about it is this, the central character Yossarian took everything that life through at him very personally, and I I can see that in a lot of the people I associate with and a lot of my friends, and I think those are the funniest people to be around, the people that that take everything that happens to them in life personally and get outraged, and uh, I think I've probably got a bit of that in me as well. I um, love that book.
0: Thanks, Cookie. I have read that many, many years ago. I think it was required reading at high school, so... uh... Might have to dig that out again. And I'm surprised you didn't give us Karate Kid. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> it's, it's one of those rare situations where the movie's better than the um, book, Trudy. So, Felicity, your best book or film recommendation?
2: Um, if you've never seen Wonder um, or read the book, it is um, beautiful. A young boy by the name of Augie who has quite severe deformity and um, just his experience at school. But it just is one of those um, uplifting movies, I guess. And I probably watch it. I've watched it every holiday. It's, it's a, a beautiful story about resilience and courage and, yeah.
0: Yeah, great recommendation. And we'll put those in the show notes as well. So what is your favourite quote?
1: Okay, well, in, in this day and age, when anyone who can manage to sign up Facebook can create their own quotes and pass it off as wisdom, I'm going back. You'll be surprised to hear to the early '80s um, into a to a seminal TV program that I grew up with. I think it started in 1972 and finished in the early '80s. So that's um, Mash. So my my quote is from um, Dr. Sigmund Friedman, who was uh, a psychiatrist, an army psychiatrist, who used to float in and out of episodes of Mash, support the um, the crazy characters in Mash who were dealing with terrible stuff. And um, the quote that sticks in my mind is: um, it's, Sydney was leaving the operation theatre, an army operation theatre, and all the nurses and surgeons were sort of up to their elbows in the the horrors of wounded young men and the horrors of war and um, Sydney is about to leave and he turns around and he says to everyone in the room ladies and gentlemen take my advice pull down your pants and slide on the ice. I think we could all remember that um, when we're sort of elbow deep in the horrors of um, of life and and some of the terrible things we have to deal with and the difficulties we deal with on a daily basis. There's oh. there's time for having some fun and doing silly things.
0: You've left Felicity and I speechless,
1: Cookie. <laughs> um. Just don't take it literally. Uh, try to. <laughs> Doesn't live up to the expectations.
2: <laughs> well, um, mine is is I'm hoping that my students at Morumbah and certainly here at Mackay, um, know should know what my favourite quote is, and um, it's six words, and it's be better than you were yesterday, um, because I'm a I'm a believer that um, we are all human, we make mistakes, but it is honestly about how we learn every day. And we improve, we improve ourselves as 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 humans, as teachers in a school, as students in a school, and in life. So I say that to my kids all the time too. At home, we need to be better than what we were yesterday.
0: That's a good one. Thanks, Felicity. So last question: as far as things to see in CQ, what's our best kept secret?
1: My immediate go-to was Stanage Bay, but I listened to Kim Fredericks and her. Um, Podcast, and she she um, gave Stanage Bay as the region's one of the region's best guest secrets. So, I I live in the um, Mackay Northern Beaches, and I live about four minutes walk from Imeo Beach, which is the most beautiful little beach in between a couple of rocky headlands. Every Friday afternoon, I walk down there with two or six beers and um, sit on the sand and um, enjoy. The serenity of Imeo Beach and sit there and wonder that it isn't absolutely packed because it is an absolutely beautiful spot.
0: Mm, sounds awesome. How about you Felicity?
2: Uh, there's so many um, but I'm go- in the theme of keeping with our beginning teachers and the fact that I have just left Central Highlands um, I would definitely say if you pass through Moorumbah you need to stop at the Red Bucket Um, It is a place where all of our beginning teachers and teachers that um, leave, I guess, our region through transfer, we all stop and have a photo there. And um, probably, and also I think the gem fields um, is, is sort of an untapped, beautiful place to visit, as well as more recently, now that I've moved into Mackay, probably Yungala and the Pioneer Valley. So I know that's not one, but I think we just have so many beautiful places in our region. Um, yeah, I, I don't understand why more people don't um, come and experience. I guess outside of sometimes our southeast sector or schools. Yeah. If I say that.
0: Absolutely, have to agree with you. We all we all declared way back in the first or second episode, episode that CQ is the best and to talk to more and more people about the best parts of our region, it certainly is exactly that. Well, Cookie and Felicity, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I know when I invited Cookie um, that we I really wasn't sure where it could land us. So, Felicity, thanks for coming along as well um, for the ride. It um, has it, been well, a well, great conversation. I thought I behaved pretty well. You, you did. You did, but it's always a surprise in the conversation. And um, Felicity, I do value your experience and the insights that you have shared from, you know, your leadership at Bar and now at Mackay High and how you support beginning teachers. It's a core part of our work and setting people up for success in their career is just so vitally important. So thank you for having the conversation with me today. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Trudy. Thanks, Thanks so much,
0: Trudy. Thanks, Felicity. It's been a hoot. If you have suggestions or recommendations for future episodes or you'd like to give us the gift of feedback, whether it's positive or negative, you can email us at cqcommunications at qed.qld.gov.au. If you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You will find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and Deezer. And if you know of an educational leader in central Queensland who may also enjoy listening to the conversations, please help us spread the word by telling them about the podcast or forwarding the email that comes each fortnight with the show notes. Thank you for listening to Central Queensland Region's Reading and Learning Podcast. We trust this conversation has given you the information and inspiration to lead so that every student in our region succeeds.